Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life, so our eternity is far better. I want to go ahead and make a plug now for what we will do at the end of Season 1. Our Season 1 is going to continue all the way until the last Wednesday of May. And in the last Wednesday of May, we'll post our last episode of Season 1. And for those of you keeping track... That will be around episode 52. And so after that, what we're going to do after May 29th, we're going to have some special guests that will appear on the podcast with us and that will be taking part in a series on our summer season called Far Better Than. We're going to talk about a lot of different things with a lot of different people. We'll talk about topics like depression and addiction and fearful living and worrying and all these other different types of topics and that will continue all the way until August and then we will begin season two and so go ahead and be making your plans to be with us in the summer and I'll have more information as we nail down the final topics and speakers and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you but as always if you want to contact us or follow us on social media you can do so by looking at the show notes in the bottom And they'll give you all of the links that you need in order to find us, as well as our email address that will help us hear from you if you have any questions or comments about the podcast. I want to ask you today how you would feel if you were to find out that you could own the best land that your area has to offer. Or perhaps you could even say, what if I were to tell you that I'm going to offer you the best land with the house of your dreams built on top of it? Wouldn't you be interested in that? I would be. Wouldn't you be interested in knowing that you could have literally the best piece of property? I would definitely want to know. What do I need to do? What are the requirements, right? You know, Jesus would tell us of many different requirements in the New Testament of godly living and doing the things that we need to do. And while we're New Testament believers of the Lord and His church, that doesn't mean that the Old Testament has no value. If I look at Romans 15 and verse 4, I find that the Bible says that whatever was written before was written for our learning. Therefore, I can deduce and understand that the Word of God in the Old Testament is valuable. And so I want us to look today at a psalm. And this psalm was written by David. It's Psalm 15, verses 1 through 5. And our lesson this week is going to be heavily influenced on the topic of who dwells on God's holy hill. Who gets to be a part of God's hill? Who gets part of the property, the land that God has to offer? First, I want you to notice in Psalm 15 and verse 1, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and dwell in your holy hill? And then he's going to list some requirements, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The requirements to dwelling on God's holy hill. What are they? Notice verse 2. He who walketh uprightly. You know the idea of walking upright is found in more places than just Psalm 15? If you noticed a few of these passages, 
such as Psalm 22 and verse 24, who was blameless before him and kept myself from iniquity, with the merciful, Psalm 2 Samuel, I should say, 22 and verse 26, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. This idea of being blameless is the idea of walking uprightly. 2 Chronicles 29 and verse 34 says, The priests were too few, so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. But probably, in your mind and mine, the person who is absolutely the best example of walking uprightly in the Old Testament, at least, is Job. You remember that the devil wants to find an opportunity to destroy Job's family, his life, his health, all that he can find to destroy. And God says there is no one who walks more upright and is blameless than Job. And even after Job 1, where Satan does all of this stuff and even kills his own children to take part in this suffering of Job, He comes back to the Lord, and God says to him again, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a man that is blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Job was still this upright man. In Psalm 7 and verse 10, we're told that my defense is of God and he saves the upright in heart. And also in Psalm 25 and verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. That makes sense when I look at the state of this world and I study this psalm and it says, Who can dwell on your holy hill? He who walks upright. That would make sense because God himself is good and upright. And he teaches his sinners, the sinners of the world, in the ways of walking in a good and upright manner. God knows what he's doing. But what is it that we see in our own world today? I see a world... And I'm sure you do too. I see a world that is absolutely focused on the opposite of walking upright. They don't want to do the right thing. What about you and me? Are we? Are we spending our time working evil instead of good? What's your idea of good? You know, Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says, Woe to them who call evil good and good evil, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who put light for darkness and darkness for light. You know, you can't sit in the dark and say that the room is bright. In utter darkness, you can't do it. I've got to be careful then what I call good and what I call evil. Our world today has wanted to say that certain things are good and other things are evil. But does the world get to decide what is good and upright? Not according to Psalm 25 and verse 8. Good and upright is the world? No, it's the Lord. And the Lord has the opportunity, because he created this universe, to tell us who live in it how to live. That's what he he has the absolute right. But there's a second thing that needs to be done. It's not just walking uprightly. 
But the second part of verse 2 is talking about working righteousness. It's not enough to just stand upright. I also have to work righteousness. And if we do understand that the world that we're living in is full of wickedness, you might get this idea that there's no hope. Understandable. I, I can completely understand that. We don't always have the best examples around us. But how important is living a righteous life? You know, if you consider the case of Sodom, you might remember that the Lord came to Abraham because he wanted the Lord to spare Sodom. And he says to the Lord, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? God, God, I understand that Sodom itself is evil and wicked and it needs to be punished, but what about the righteous people that are living in Sodom? Are you going to destroy them too? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Now, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, I know you to be an individual who's going to serve and who's going to judge the right way. And if you need to serve justice upon the entire city of Sodom, I know you well enough to know you'll spare the righteous. And the Lord says, if I can find in Sodom 50 people that are righteous, I'll spare all of the place for their sakes. Isn't that incredible? Because guess what happens next? Abraham answers in Genesis 18 and verse 27 and says, Indeed now, I who am I but dust? And ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were 45 instead of 50. Would you destroy the city for the lack of the extra five that would make it 50? Or would you let them live if there were only 45? And the Lord says, if there are 45, I won't destroy it. God, what, what about just 40? I won't destroy it for the sake of 40. God, don't get angry, but what about 30? What, what about 30? What happened to uh, 35? Abraham has now jumped all the way down to 30, and he says, I won't do it for 30. Indeed, Lord, don't, don't be upset. What about 20? What about 20? What, what happened to 25? What happened to 25? I won't destroy it for the sake of 20. And then Abraham says again, what, what about 10? What about 10? God says, I won't destroy it for the sake of 10. I know the lifestyle of Sodom. How important is it to live a righteous life? It's important. It was important enough to God that he would spare an entire city from wickedness if he could just find 10 righteous people. Isn't that impressive? That the Lord said, you know what? I'll spare the city even if they don't deserve it because I found 10 righteous people. God did that for the case of Noah and his family. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but God allowed his family to be spared.
Sodom was a wicked city, but he was willing to save it if there were ten righteous souls. If I live righteously today, God's going to bless me. He's going to bless me. But I've got to work righteousness in my life. There's another thing, though, that we have to do, and that is speaking truth in his heart. That's what Psalm 15 and verse 2 says. So I know that it's not just enough to walk uprightly and to work righteousness, but I've got to speak truth in the heart. So where does truth begin? We're told in this verse it begins in the heart. And if your heart is right, so will the words that come out. They'll be right as well. You and I could spend an entire you know, amount of podcasts on this idea of speaking truth, and maybe we will sometime. But I can honestly tell you there's nothing more despicable than a Christian with a lying problem. One who sits there and doesn't tell the truth. Even worse is someone who sits there and hears someone say something and won't fact check, won't look into it. When you consider the Bible... You find Paul writing on more than one occasion that what he said was not a lie. It was the truth. Romans 9.1, he says, I'm not lying. I speak the truth in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ knows that I'm not lying. Galatians 1 and verse 20, of the things I write indeed before God, I do not lie. Colossians 3 and verse 9, don't lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 7, not lying. Titus 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life before God who cannot lie. God doesn't spend his time lying. Also, Hebrews 6.18 tells me that it's impossible for God to lie. Do you know what's incredible to me? We spend all this time looking at all the things that God can't do, and then we realize that so many Christians are involved in doing them. Lying is not spoken in a negative or in a positive light, I should say. And you might say, well, wait a minute, because Paul said he didn't lie. But why would Paul need to clarify that if lying were not a problem? I've got to speak truth in my heart. Another thing I've got to make sure to do, though, is not to backbite with my tongue. This is gossip. The devil loves when sins like this plague our brethren. He loves it when gossip becomes an issue. And I've got to learn that there's a better way to use my tongue and there's a better way to use yours. You know, the sad, thr- the sad truth is that many people today are singing songs like when we all get to heaven, but all the while when that song ends and the service is concluded, they get together with their closest friends and talk bad about so-and-so who's in the congregation. Are they really going to make it? Would I really make it if that were my practice? Another qualification is one that does not do evil or reproach to neighbors. This again speaks to the same line that we're just discussing. Consider some of the passages about those that are evil. Don't enter the way of the wicked, Proverbs 4, 14 through 16. Don't walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Pass on away from it. 
For they don't sleep unless they've done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. Another thing, though, that I am expected to do is to honor those that fear the Lord. And that sometimes means living in a world that is anti-God and preaching God's truth to that world. We preach out against abominations. We preach out against the things that God says are not pure, such as 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, or Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are too many people in this world that are scared, and they don't have to be. Honor them who fear the Lord over man. You know what the incredible thing is? If you and I want to win, if you and I want to have all of these things, we've got to make sure that those things are a part of our lives. And there are a few more that we're going to discuss in the next episode. But we have to have these things as a part of our life. Otherwise, we're in definite danger. I hope this has been helpful to you, and we're going to cover up the next few in the next episode. But until then, I hope we please God now so our eternity is far better.